Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast, produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health-related products, services, tools, and resources. And we are live. Hey, everybody. I am here today with my friend, Allison Vickery. Allison, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be fun. The magic of technology. We are across worlds from each other. We just found out it's, she's in Australia, 7 a.m. It's 5 p.m. here. Thank you, Internet, for bringing people together. I know we, we knock technology quite a bit, but without it, conversations like this would never take place. So we're going to have an interesting show today. It's going to be a little different than some of the other ones we've talked about in this episode. We're going to, or in this season, we're going to talk about a little bit different angle of healing. Uh, but first, I'd like to introduce Allison for those who are unfamiliar with her or her work. So uh, 10 years ago, Allison's life was turned inside out following a series of adverse prescription medications that saw her diagnosed with mast cell activation and chronic fatigue syndrome and an acquired brain injury. Uh, since then, Allison has undertaken extensive training and been mentored by cutting edge health practitioners, which has seen her restore her health and go on to coaching hundreds of people back to health. She also continues to advocate for better prescribing practices and has appeared in our Australian Health Inquiry, obtaining two recommendations and appeared on the national news and national television as a spokesperson for better prescribing practices. I was always amazed when I saw you posting those things. So congratulations mm -hmm. on that. And uh, it's interesting how our own challenges and tragedies kind of lead us to the, the thing we're supposed to be doing, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I'm sure if I had mentioned, I said that uh, 10 years ago when you were going through that, you'd have been like, shut the hell up. I don't want this to happen to me. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I've had people when we've gone through some stuff the last few years, it's been really hard with Mira's health. People will say to me when we're like in it, they'll be like, well, you know, this is all going to be for the better and you're going to find yeah, your yeah. way through. And I'm like, I want you to just be quiet and go away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> No, well, my aha moment with my health, and it's probably a pretty good place to start, is um, I knew I was sick. I actually sort of had delirium, in effect, because it was simplistically being poisoned. Um, and my specialist took one look at me and said, oh, look, you're being poisoned. The minute you stop being given the medication, <laughs> you can get somewhere. And he said to me, um, look, you just can't use medication. You're going to have to learn how to keep yourself well without a doctor in effect and I looked at him and I could see my I could hear myself going what the hell are you talking about I'm sick this was a doctor this was a specialist in one oh. of the specialists in immunology and I was just lucky that he was actually open to medicine not working for everyone but the message he gave me which actually was one of the gifts of being ill um was look simplistically you're going to have to learn how to keep yourself well and you know my visceral reaction to that was what the hell are you talking about I'm sick and then the penny dropped the penny dropped that I was spending all this effort and all this time being sick rather than getting well um 
And I can't think of a more black and white situation than that, than the medication you're being given by a doctor is actually making you, you know, chronically sick. I mean, at that point, I actually couldn't even speak in a full sentence, you know, didn't know what I did, you know, the day before and so on. And yet, <laughs> me being... What were you doing before? What was your... Well, before I was actually a um, finance director in a public company, which is a media company. Wow, that's so a I was running numbers, career. and because my yeah, exactly. Well, my you know, and I was doing lots of problem solving and piecing things together, which is sort of what I love about what I'm doing with health is sort of seeing the whole person and seeing how the bits fit together, seeing the big picture and going, okay, this piece, that's the important piece. So many of those skills I've brought to this, but um, I think it took something of that extreme for me to wake up and go, um, you know, literally, I I'm spending all this effort wanting to be sick, in effect, simplistically. And I actually have no idea, no idea how to, how to look after myself. I mean, yes, I know how to, that I should eat, you know, certain foods and exercise and blah, blah, blah. But actually, I don't know how to look after myself. And so I actually picked myself up shoved the cat in the back of the car, packed up everything. I hired a, um, the, uh, an assistant to find me a house up in Byron Bay, which is like a healing centre. Um, not sure what the equivalent would be in the US. And I went, right, I'm going to go and find people that know how to look after themselves. And um, so, you know, what I often see in my clients is, um, and, and it's, you know, having been there, it's just a realisation that I think a lot of clients need to make for themselves that, um, you know, quite a few of their actions and, and or beliefs are actually heading them in the opposite direction to the way they want to go. So some of the things I sort of see, um, you know, and I ask my clients, uh, you know, are you in a medical mindset? Or are you in a healing mindset? So a lot of my clients want a diagnosis. And that's just another thing, a um, bit like myself, that I've got to remove from my belief system. I mean, one of the really good things that I reached pretty quickly was I refused to accept that my brain injury, which would have seen me not really able to take care of myself, would define my life. Um, and so I, rather than chasing a diagnosis, which can be something, you know, a label that you've got to remove from someone, I started identifying healing opportunities. And I just started chipping away um, in that way. Um, another way I often see that manifest is when people are using lots of medications or supplements. So I can have people come to me on literally 30 to 50 supplements and they still have whatever the issue is that they... Do you, do you even have to eat food at that point? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and look, you know, the simple truth is, and this is just an observation, is after about eight supplements, um, it's stressing the body. So, you know, when we've tested people, we've actually found that some of the things they're taking, a bit like 
me with the medication that I was taking, one of which, by the way, was an antihistamine that was causing the delirium. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, was it was antihistamines that caused Well, it your... started, well, uh, simplistically, it started um, um, with I was given metformin, which is um, Blood sugar. I wasn't tested. I didn't have those issues. I wasn't tested properly. Um, and that blocks the DAO enzyme that degrades histamine. So then I had histamine intolerance with insomnia because histamine is like waking me. <laughs> and then I was given um, Phenergan, which I can't metabolise. And I was given it with codeine, which I can't metabolise. And then I was given a sleeping tablet. And that is when the proverbial hit the fan. Wow. The delirium started. And it's as simple as that. And the problem was, and, you know, this is something that we sort of need to be mindful of or what I educate people on, is if you're going to take medication, you need to ask or inquire, and this is what I didn't do, I assume medication's safe. Doctor's prescribing it, it's safe. But... You know, you can get the information of the known side effects and also how easy or otherwise it is to withdraw. And I'm a bit of an optimist. You know, I look at the the symptoms and go, oh, it's never going to happen to me. Yeah. And I've changed my viewpoint to firstly, can I withdraw it? Now, with lots of sleeping tablets, you can't easily. Um, and that was really my problem that, I couldn't easily withdraw what was causing me harm. And secondly, um, if all of these side effects happened, would could I live a good and healthy life? And, you know, I've seen people, um, their doctors have wanted to put them on medication you can't withdraw that alters your heartbeat but helps with their migraine. Yeah, which, <laughs> which, like, do, well, which do you want? Which you want, it's, you can't do, have it all. Do they all. allow, um, people in the US don't know this most, but do, a lot of countries, uh, drug companies can't market their products. Like they can't have commercials and things. Can can drug companies, are there drug commercials uh, there, TV, radio, news, print, all that stuff? There are over-the-counter um, ads, but not that many. And there are not. For prescriptions, you know, I mean. No, for prescriptions, it could get to a point of there, there are occasionally ads where, you know, there are solutions, ask your doctor, but there's never, you know, a drug. Not this not drug like, and this thing. Not like you. Oh my, our car, I, I, don't, I haven't had normal TV for a lot of years. So it's gotten way worse than when I used to have TV. But now when I'm yeah. somewhere that has TV and they have yeah. the normal commercials on and a drug commercial comes on, yeah. it is incredible. They will... It's incredible. It will be like six seconds of, do you have this condition? This drug can help. And then 30 seconds of known side effects include, and <laughs> it is normally like heart attack, stroke. Uh, I heard one the other day, anal leakage, um, uh, delirium, like all this, 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 this. And I was yeah. like, 
what was this pill even for? I don't even remember what it was for, but I know I don't want any of those things. But anyway, so this is how you got engaged so much with prescription practices and why you became an advocate in that area. Yeah, well, I, um, you know, very simplistically um, and something that I like to educate everyone on is firstly, all medications have risks. They all do. And they don't affect everybody the same. Like it doesn't. No, it's genetic. Yeah, there's ways this can be known, right? Like I learned this partially from one of the engagements you were involved in with the Australian government around it was a certain drug or a certain gene or a certain something where these things are known and predictable. Like if we could genetically screen every patient that was prescribed, that was going to be prescribed any drug, there are a number of classes of drugs and specific drugs in which known side effects and reactions and, and negative outcomes would be predictable and known. And we could eliminate a good amount of that from happening so very simplistically the um way we metabolize medications in our liver so as you know the liver makes things more toxic and then Mm -hmm. adds things and then the body so in phase one where things are made more toxic um whether you have a function of about three or four genes is racially determined. So I must have a bit of something in me that's, um, you know, I must be a a mixed breed in some way, shape or form. So most of our um, prescribing practice assume that we're white men. Um, And the reality is if you are not, a white man, the dose that you can handle could be dramatically different. So women need different doses to men. But more importantly, if you are of, um, you know, for example, Aboriginal in Australia or Southeast Islander or Asian, and it has been called Asian enzyme deficiency in the past, then you may have so little function of that gene that you can't do anything with that medication. Now, um, the gene that caused me all the problems, and it, uh, which is CYP2D6, just for those who are technical, um, I had less than 20% function of, and that was my problem. Um, now, the good thing is that there are medications that use one of different genes Mm -hmm. to work so it's not like you can never you know be sedated if you have a car accident or you can just need to use something else they need to use the right dose for for the right person which is yeah not only negative effects or anything but it's also why uh some people can get like loaded up as if they're an elephant with certain types of tranquilizers and then still feel the thing that's being done and other people get a child's dose and they're whacked out for four days yeah we don't screen any of this at least in the united states i know that for a fact that it's well there is um very interestingly um in europe it is now in the prescribing practices so before you give certain medications that are more high risk a person must be screened Um, and those practices are well and truly implemented throughout their medical system The FDA have started recognising if you look up a medication you're on, chances are there will be information about which gene it uses. It will usually have CYP, something, something, something. Um, But the simple 
fact of the matter is that at least in Australia for about 100 bucks, which is not even, they're small bucks, they're not even big bucks, yeah. so what, 80, 80 US, <laughs> you can have control of your own body. I'd, I'd encourage you, there will be things to click below. Uh, you can learn more. Allison's got information out everywhere. And um, I would re reach out to her, check out her website, look at her stuff to find, learn more about prescriptions. There's been certain things that I've learned uh, in this field in the last like 12 years that I've been in health and wellness that the first time I hear it, I just think like, what? what do you mean that that's a thing? And usually it's terrible, whatever it is, is usually something horrible. And when I learned that the, the degree to which we currently have the capability to screen people who are going to be given pharmaceutical drugs for adverse reactions and negative, and then radically reduce the amount of negative outcomes and like increase safety and that it's easy to do and that nobody does it. <laughs> Uh, in the US for the large part, and that it's looked at as like totally what? Like most people, if they brought that up to their doctor, they'd be like, oh, whatever. 50% of um, geriatric and 50% of mental health patients are admitted to hospital due to prescribing errors. It's, 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 it's insane. Yeah. It's, it's totally yeah. so insane. So it's not, so. you know, whenever I talk, you know, uh, whenever I, I don't talk about it all that much anymore, but, you know, when I'm in a, um, private setting and someone asked me why I do and why I do it, sort of a bit like you have, there's inevitably someone that comes up to me and relays a story. But we've normalised it. You know, your my, my doctor or your doctor may think that's just normal. Adverse drug reactions are normal. They're not normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's just, it's just, it's something easy that could be done that's not being done. Yeah, that, exactly. Like it's, it's, there's no reason for it. And so many people are harmed. We have so yeah. many people in our Rebel Health Tribe community that uh, are from like fluoroquinolones and like those yeah, types yeah. of drugs and whatever. And it's, it's maddening, but anywho, that's anyway, the topic. We'll have another conversation about that. Cause I'd love to get into that more and give a resource for people and educate them. Yeah. But um, today we're going to talk about something that really couldn't be much more different than that conversation um, is your progression yourself with your own healing and your own progress or lack of progress, I guess I would say in some areas uh, led you into a little bit different angle with healing. That's kind of also been my course too. And it's more in alignment with, you know, where I'm at now, what I'm studying now and the things that I'm doing is, uh, you know, beliefs and trauma and like the effect yeah. that these things have and that, you know, oftentimes if you're having a hard time sticking to some sort of diet plan or protocol or you find yourself repeatedly running into the same challenges or issues and it seems to be like no matter what I do, this happens or these things happen or all this if or you're you can't stick to this or you're not compliant with that or no matter what you do you only get marginally better if anybody out there can relate to this which i'm sure there's some heads nodding um you want to i guess i i'll hand it over and you can just talk about what you discovered and and i just want to point out that allison as i knew her uh, when when i first met you on facebook FDN group, I don't know, a million years ago, um, 
you were a specialist in uh, histamine intolerance. At least that was my understanding. You had a really popular blog on that. You were like the go-to person that a million people would tag you in our practitioner group all the time. Like, is this histamine intolerance? This is my client. You were very clinical, a lot of labs, a lot of functional medicine stuff, very um, left brained, I guess I would say, or more analytical. And then now when I asked you what you wanted to talk about for this podcast, you brought up trauma and manifesting health and belief systems. And that couldn't be more different than that. And I want to point that out to show that um, not everyone that that finds their way to that type of healing or advocating that type of healing started there. No. That, that this comes from like almost exhaustion a lot of the time of like, this isn't working. Why isn't this working? Oh, there's this other thing. Yeah, so I want to emphasize a few points. And the first is, um, you know, as you said, the difference between doing something or not doing something is trauma. And I'm using trauma in a little T, a big T, a medium T. It's anything that you have not managed to process that's gone into your unconscious. Because let's face it, you know, I've, I, I'm working with a client at the moment that's got a limited budget. And so she was starting to flag that she can't afford, you know, all of the protocol. And I asked her, can you please send to me how much you have to spend and we'll work from there. Now, she hasn't done that simple request. And so I know that there's a belief there or a trauma there or something, you know, because I'm just giving you an example of something very simple that if I asked you to do that, you could maybe have to think about it for a day or two, but like, is it, it's not difficult. Um, if I test someone and they really are gluten intolerant and need to be gluten free and they're not, and they try and minimize it, there's a belief there. There's something there blocking that. I could never, like those words yeah. are usually now a big red flag. And I don't even like to use the word red flag. It's a big clue to me when yeah. somebody hears about something and, and people can probably relate to this. And I'm one of those people. There's certain yeah. health practices that I'm like, no way am I doing that. <laughs> uh, one of them is cold water, for example, yeah. the cold water immersions. I don't yeah. care if that adds... 200 years to my life and I'm going to be a 300 year old person in perfect yeah. health. I'm not getting in an ice tub. We yeah. could dive into yeah. that and there would be yeah, reasons yeah. why that is. But if you hear like, Oh, I can't eat that. I could never live without that. Or I could never do that thing. Is that what you mean? Well, um, or... the way I explain it is um, it, it, it's extreme. So it could be behavioral, emotional, or relational. And it's really overdoing something or overreacting in a situation. Um, so, you know, people that analyse lists and come up with the three things that aren't on all the lists, that's stress, okay? That's just stress. And there's an unconscious belief there stopping them from moving forward. But it can also be underdoing something, you know, forgetting that you had to study something you didn't want to study or, you know, losing the workbook or, you know, um, denial, just saying, oh, well, you know, I don't think gluten or dairy affects me while well, you're limping away with neural pain, you know. So it can be overdoing or underdoing, but it is a unbalanced reaction to a situation. And, look, we all have them. 
that's the way the brain works. And our job or our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to know our own mind. Know when we're getting out of whack, either overdoing something, you know, addictions, you know, merging, people pleasing, you know, you name it, we've all got some sort of ingrained way of dealing with stress. Or it could be, you know, completely ignoring something as well. So, you know, one of the things that I like to do with people and one of the things I've personally found um, um, is important to do is not so much silence the mind, but know your own mind and know when it's unbalanced, you know, so in the same way that, you know, everything we're trying to do is balance things. So for myself, um, I can go about my day, you know, how do I feel? What do I need? Yeah, I get this done, get that done, blah, blah, blah. And then something will happen and I can actually feel it in my brain. It's not actually about that situation, but it's stress. And there's always an underlying belief. And when you clear that underlying belief, and there's lots of ways you can do that, um, there's just an enormous rush of dopamine, almost a disinterest in, in that scenario again. Um, and, you know, it doesn't, it's not an issue. And partly that's because you're bringing it up from your subconscious, making it conscious and really growing up the belief or, you know, growing up the belief that, that's triggering that response. You know, and just a very simple example of that is I find, um, or, you know, something that uh, I'm a bit ashamed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But sure. uh, you know, I had a belief that I've inherited. So we can inherit beliefs as well um, that women were there to serve men. Okay. Now, I'm the most educated person in my family. I've been highly successful in my career. Yet when I looked at what was tripping me up and I felt sick, but I knew that was what was playing out subconsciously for me. And just working with that belief absolutely revolutionised not only my life, but the stress in my brain. You know, rather than quietening our mind, which there are, is valid yeah. reasons to do that. I think it's sort of like knowing our own mind, knowing how our brain is actually not that smart. And I have a lot of clients that are professionals that, you know, they could be lawyers, barristers, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. make a living through their mind. And yet their mind is their biggest obstacle to achieving health because when you start to listen to what your mind's doing, it has lots of fantasies. <laughs> and, you know, as I say to them, our mind is not that smart. Our intuition is, but our mind is not connected in the same way that our body is. So um, one of the things I love to do and um, one of the things that happens, you know, when people work with me is when they are in that stress response, which they will inevitably be, you know, we're coming up to Christmas, they can't eat gluten, you know, 
can they have turkey? You know, everybody else is going to be eating it. Like it's just the perfect learning opportunity and healing opportunity. So when people are acted, activated in that way, it's a perfect opportunity to shift stress. Um, and some of the biggest healing opportunities I've seen are not on the physical level. And I think it might be sort of helpful. The person who really changed my, my, my view of the world was um, Dr. Klinghart, which hopefully some people will be familiar with. And I know you've had Christine on quite a few of your podcasts. And I went down to Sydney, did some training with him. And I literally had to reorganise my brain for about a month after hearing him speak because I realised, and this is where I really made the switch from just doing labs, and I still do do labs, to seeing the whole person and trying to work out the biggest healing opportunities and how I can shepherd those, you know, into being. And so, you know, in our world, we uh, focus a lot on the physical level and the physical level is sort of like super important because it's actually the foundation on which every other level lies and it creates the energy to do these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just on a very basic level, I often find when I start working with people that the basics aren't even right. There's a lot of emphasis on, say, supplements or protocols, lab tests, and yeah. you know, I've got a biohacking and you know, all this stuff. Yeah. And then, literally, when I when I ask for a food diary, when I start working with people, it couldn't be more pristine. Um, but then, when I start delving into the symptoms and connecting their diet to symptoms, and I'm using metabolic typing a lot in that respect, you, you start to see how the diet that they're following, which may have been suggested by someone else, isn't the right diet for them. And they haven't been taught how to listen to their body and, and get their diet right. You know, I find a lot of people think exercise is something that buff fit people do. You know, lots of throwing of ropes and pumping of iron and all that sort of thing without really an understanding of how movement facilitates the healing process. So just getting the basics right, you know, and sleep and everything else, you know, just getting those basics right is the foundation on which everything else rests. And I've seen that a lot too. I yeah. had a lot of, I don't work with clients anymore, but when I did, they would come in and they'd have like, a stack like this well not everybody's on video a lot of papers yeah, yeah, with a lot yeah. of lab tests and a lot yeah. of requests for the lab tests that they specifically want to run now yeah. and the box of supplements and the protocols and they bought this four thousand dollar gizmo for their house and they have this other thing and they have this other thing yet they're still uh, waking up tired and then i ask them what do you do in the evening and they watch tv till two in the morning got it and, and I'm just like, oh man, throw all that stuff in the trash. We got to start at square one yeah, right. and, um, and don't run the labs and don't do the thing like th that stuff. If you're doing all the foundations and all the basics and all the diet and the lifestyle and the things, and you're still having a whole bunch of issues. Great. Let's well, not great. But then we go into the labs, then we go into the supplements, yeah. then we go into yeah. the, 
the gizmos yeah. and the gadgets and the things. And there's this romanticizing of like, yeah. I'm complex. My illness is complex. So to, to fix this, I need to do 27,000 things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never like that. And <laughs> really what's going wrong is people like me are disconnected from our bodies. So we're doing what somebody else tells us to do which is giving us the care they think we need rather than the care we really need. So to get these right, we actually need to know how our body feels, how it acts when it's, you know, getting the right stuff, when the food, when the diet's right. Often with diet, you know, I was working with someone recently who's starving, underweight, got depression and mood issues and eating one teaspoon of fat a day. A day? Yeah, or a meal, I think it was, one teaspoon a meal. We put a tablespoon in, all done and dusted. Wow. Symptoms resolved. No $4,000 gizmo. No $4,000 gizmo. (laughs) And so the key to this is to master ourselves. It really is. We need to be able to observe our mind. Absolutely. And I think, at least in my experience, I say I think to observe my mind. But anyways, um, in my experience, because I've done a lot of training in the last couple of years in states of meditation and states of awareness, and then kind of advanced certain traditions and lineages of Buddhism. And the, the practices literally are designed to bring you into a state where you are observing the mind and while that can get really advanced also it doesn't have to be and um i think the people that you're describing and that i was one of them too and you were one of them too they observe every single little tiny thing that's going on outside of them they observe this person said this, or this happened, or this happened here, this person did this, or I ate this, or I took this supplement. So they'll come in with a list of like every single thing they've eaten or taken or done or been around or something else for weeks at a time and whatever. And you ask them what's going on in here. And there's like a a blank stare of, and I think that in our culture and in our society and and i mean i know culture in australia is a little bit different than it is in the us is a little bit different than it is in like western europe is a little but western culture like the colonized western world culture um which is merged into one giant conglomerate of nonsense Mm -hmm. at this point um consumerism and stress and all these things uh we don't even realize and we're never taught or shown that we are not Like what you really are is not the stream of thoughts that's going on in your head. Absolutely. And then, so to observe the mind, the first step is to realize or be shown or taught or pointed to. For me, with the the programs I was in, it was a lot of pointing and like showing, like if you can observe that, it means that you are not that. You cannot observe something that you are. Mm. Like the eye, the eyes can't see themselves. You know, it's very interesting. Um, I'm not sure if you like reading and archetypal stories and, you know, how the hero survives, but often the thinker is, or is killed off in the story in order to allow the hero mm. to battle the demons within. 
I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit. It's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations if you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast. A gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now, back to your episode. You know, one of the key things that I learned and really the message that I took from this professor of immunology was that I'm battling externally, you know, and I did battle for a while with that doctor did the wrong thing. <laughs> um, but I'm going to show him. Or, yeah. 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 But really the minute I started coming within is when the true healing began. And, you know, I think just to point out that, um, you know, we all come with um, parents that have done their very best that may have given us skills. We've been to schools where, you know, being able to express yourself may or may not have been okay. You know, so we all have beliefs around observing our own mind. Um, what I like to do is a couple of things. So firstly, um, develop self-compassion skills so that it is safe to um, actually observe. You know, and I find a lot of people have no self-compassion. Yeah, when they notice or realize something that they did or that they said or the first time that they face, I've, I've, I've been, I'll say me because I don't want to point the finger at anybody. Mm -hmm. Yes, when I first started doing that work and I had to like really look at things that I had done and said, the first reaction is like, oh man, you're such a terrible person. Mm And, and learning to realize that you're always doing the best that you can with the tools and skills and awareness that you have. Yeah. Um, it's like expecting a six-year-old to be able to drive a Ferrari. Yeah. Um, and so. look, you know, the reality is that whether you think you deserve, you think you do or you don't deserve understanding and self-compassion, it's purely a practical decision because it puts you out of a stress response into a non-stress response where you can act in a way that's in everyone's best interests. So, you know, and I really like the work of Christian Neff and Paul Gilbert. Christian Neff has a lot of free material on her website, including meditations, but there's a very simple self-compassion break where, you know, this is a moment of suffering. May I be kind to myself? You know, and that I've seen just engaging people with the tools of self-compassion to radically change their mental health. Um, I organised a training locally where with a professor of medicine who was trained by Paul Gilbert, and we put into that program about 20 people with a history of chronic depression and everything that goes with that and I couldn't believe the change in people and you know they were happy they were joyful because they were bullying themselves Um, so giving people some basic skills to have compassion 
for whilst they're observing things they may have done wrong or I shouldn't say wrong, you know, that they regret or would have done differently or whatever. And then the other thing I really like to use is just a simple five-minute reflection at the beginning of each day and the end of each day. So we're not necessarily in the moment, but um, observing, you know, how our day went, really. Um, and I've actually got a worksheet where I actually have a list of, you know, human ways. We all do it. <laughs> it's programmed into our DNA of acting when we're stressed and just observing that and working with them. You know, one of the things I can best do as a coach is, um, is observe when they're having a stress response and work those tools to, to, for them to realize, to, to learn their own mind. Yeah, and I find also so self-compassion skills and then some people may not have learned nonviolent communication. Um, so those two skills are pretty important to get right where it's how I feel, what I need, not, you know. You did this. You did this, you did that, you're this, yeah. you're When that. you do this, it makes me yeah. this. Uh, yeah. yeah, learning yeah. nonviolent communication was I was resistant to it because it pointed out all the ways that I had communicated violently and, yeah. and violent. I mean, it's not really violent, violent relative, but yeah, but um, mm. like you just mentioned, I feel this, I need this is different yeah. than you did this and made me feel that. Mm. And mm. so it changes the dynamic and community. I had a Absolutely. therapist that, that taught yeah. me that. And then I had to face all the ways that I had been communicating and, we do the best we can with what mm -hmm. we've got. And, you know, at a point in time, we either want to learn the skills that are going to make us happy or, or we're not. And it's not a hard task. I mean, I, I facilitate that process as well. So we need to know how to ask for what we want, which is how we feel, what we need, you know, and do we need support? And sometimes people don't need support. They just need to feel heard and understood. And having some form of self-compassion. And I also use awe and wonder to turn off a stress response. And I think awe and wonder is a really interesting neurological state. So I'm not talking about whether you believe in God, um, whether you read the Bible, whether you're in a prayer group, any of that stuff. I'm talking about this a simple technique which has been well documented, switch your brain into another state to just to switch the neural pathways. So I try to get those things set up up front. Um, and look, virtually nobody knows how to do all of them is the reality. But getting those foundations right just makes everything easier. So as I probably mentioned, there are five levels of healing. Um, and only one of them is physical. <laughs> so all the rest are um, where the juicy bits are. And I think one of the lessons is that if you're running the labs, taking the supplements, and you're not getting better, you're dealing with the wrong level. Um, and, you know, that's the time to start to dig deeper. And so I do work with people where, you know, they've just got a leaky gut, you've got to chuck a few things in, get the diet right, you know boom, you know, done and dusted. But because I tend to be working with um, 
you know, people that have been to other practitioners and done that and not got the results they want. Um, we tend to be looking at the other layers and particularly um, our unconscious beliefs, which I'll come to. And honestly, when we start to look at these levels, I don't recognise people when they come back. It's that, you know, I send them to professionals where I can guarantee the results and I literally do not recognise them when they come back. It's like I am truly seeing them for the first time. And I, I, I just want people to think about that, about the healing potential, because that's what I see and that's what drives me is to get someone better. So the second um, level is um, to do with our nervous system and our nerve and muscle function, and that's called the energy body. And so that's where we deal with things like EMF protection, acupuncture. I'm using life wave patches and getting fantastic results. Uh, cranial sacral, qigong, also remedial exercises and particularly things like Feldenkrais I really like. And, you know, the surprising thing is that our brain is not there for us to think. When you look at the space taken up, with thought processes, which is why our brain is not that smart, the vast majority operate on this energy level to give us movement and coordination between, you know, our nervous system and our organ function and so on. So I do find issues on this level. I find, um, but, and, and often it can be sort of some sort of something structural, but I do find particularly people that have been sick, like even if you have an inflamed gut, that can affect your core and communication if you don't sort of reconnect it through movement. Um, the next level is what we've sort of started talking about, which is the mental body. And these, this is trauma and it is where we have beliefs that are stopping us from moving forward. And I don't think there's anyone that I've worked with that does not have a belief, you know, setting them back. And the way I like to work with it is to um, deal with what's brought to the session. So the more activated a person is about something, the more... That's where the meaty stuff is. And the minute they realise that they can get an instant relief and turn that around is often the moment where they realise healing, true healing is within them and possible and they can manifest their health, which I'll talk about at the end. And so, um, you know, I, I have a client who, you know, when I was talking about how the brain works and recognising how we are in stress, sort of said to me, oh, none of that applies to me. Okay, I'm going, okay, you're triggered. That's good. Uh, yeah. That's good. I love this work. Yeah. We're triggered. Um, and then she had an event happen in her life and uh, was sort of forced to do EFT, which is the way she went. And she's... she's. You mean this kind of EFT? Yeah. Uh, tapping. Tapping. Yeah. Uh, with, with a really highly qualified professional. Mm -hmm. um, and she is a transformed woman. Like she knows she has the power within her now to 
you know, manifest her health. And I will talk about that shortly. So, you know, I, I just find these are sort of fundamental skills that we all need. I like EFT. Um, I like, um, there's a program out of the University of San Francisco, which is called Emotional Brain Training, which is neuroplasticity. Um, I really like that, um, particularly if people haven't had a lot of basic skills. Um, but really any non-thinking modality that gets you into your body is where these beliefs come up from. So level four is the intuitive body. And um, by intuitive, I really mean or often mean inherited beliefs. So this is our unconscious. Um, and I see a lot of unresolved transgenerational family issues. And very interestingly, at the moment, I have someone who's German, who's family has had pretty much tragedy in every um, generation after um, the war. And I've got a client whose family came from a country occupied with, by Germany with pretty much the same trauma manifesting itself. Now, you know, this is also where beliefs around the roles of women and the roles of men, which I was talking about before in relation to myself, often sit. And so these can often be beliefs that we have that are holding us back. In my case, you know, that I'm a modern woman in a Victorian world, which I still think is super funny. You know, and it's not just women, it's men. So there can often be unconscious beliefs. And I have seen huge shifts in people by sort of really handing back the trauma to that person. Um, and I love Family Constellations work for this area. There's lots of ways to do that intergenerational stuff, but the, the you know, I've got a really good Family Constellations practitioner and I've just seen people come into their purpose in this world, know what they're about, be very centred in themselves by handing back with love what was never theirs to begin with and which could never be resolved by them. Which is and much I, of what most people are carrying. Exactly, yeah. And the last level is the spiritual level and this is between the individual and the spiritual um, I don't get involved. I do facilitate with, you know, introducing people like Joe Dispenza, and I'm sure you've got lots of mm -hmm. modalities in that area. But I'm surprised at how many people have lost that connection. So could be someone died. Um, you know, I actually had a trauma on this level because, you know, I consider I nearly died and yet, you know, I couldn't make sense of that. Now, I, in that moment, I was super dependent on the doctor. So it's sort of like in the doctor's business rather than God's and mine. <laughs> um, and so you can have spiritual traumas as well. And something that should be self-evident, I just want to make clear, is just because you believe in God and have a spiritual practice doesn't mean that nothing else is going on on the mental, intuitive, you know, or spiritual level. Um, 
And I quite often see this with people that have, say, been, you know, have quite a few women that have, say, had breast cancer. And a lot of the cancer institutions do quite a bit of spiritual work, which is fantastic. But they actually haven't dealt with, you know, the their beliefs around what's happened. Um, or at least that's what I see. And I'm not sure whether you've seen that in your work, but um, um, yeah, I've seen the cancer treatment centers are generally far more progressive when it comes to yeah. deeper levels of healing stuff than any other more conventional mm-hmm. disease management facilities I've I've seen. I know there's some that do. I think jumping to spirituality kind of skips some steps, just like in those levels there, though. Like, I think the spiritual work helps people be less afraid of dying, which is valuable in really dangerous health condition situations. Uh, I think it also uh, helps them better connect with life while being alive. Yeah. Um, but it, it skips, um, it skips some steps of yeah. like, what are my stories? What are my beliefs? What's happened to me here? Why do I have these patterns? And it kind of bypasses right to mm-hmm. what am I? Who am yeah. I? Uh, yeah. Questions. And um, yeah, I agree. And I think that and, there's, you know, there's steps think, in between. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think, you know, working with experts that get these levels and can guide you because, you know, the answer to the question that probably a lot of people want to know is how do you transform your health? How do you manifest health? Mm. And this is what I believe anyway. <laughs> so I believe this is an inside job. And I think the first step is to have an experience that leaves you transformed, that you have generated and created. So, you know, I gave you the example before of a client um, being in a situation where they actually had to or felt compelled to reach out and do some EFT work. And when you do EFT work, it's not the practitioner that's doing the work. It's you feeling it and manifesting it in your body. And often that or, you know, the dietary work of connecting to your body and you knowing what your body wants is the first step in manifesting your health to understand that this this is something you you can actually do for yourself. Mm -hmm. And the second level, the second level of of transforming your health is being in the flow with your physical, mental, emotional, intuitive and spiritual bodies. Now, you're never going to be completely in flow, but, you know, just like we were talking about um, knowing when your mind's off kilter, knowing when your diet's off kilter, knowing um, when you've got feelings that you can't really identify, you don't think are yours and, and dealing with them. You know, so balancing all those five levels in some form of alignment so that you are in flow. And from that, I firmly believe, and I've seen it repeatedly, that you can manifest health in that way. So I think as a coach, it's sort of really important to sort of facilitate those experience for clients. So it's not, here's the food list, eat this food list. It's about 
teaching people and allowing them to have that connection for themselves. Um, and, you know, I think some of the things that get in the way of that, it, we've sort of touched on some of them, but I just want to run through a few of them briefly. And look, we're all wired for these responses. So this is not a question of being wrong. It's a question of using a hammer to, you know, to turn a screw. Um, and so part of recognising what's happening in your mind and seeing when you're trying to force things and it's not working and continuing to force it is, is what I'm talking about here. And so the first we've already touched on, which is seeking out external solutions, because the key lesson is that the external battles standing for the real battles happening within us. And I absolutely know that to be true. Um, another one I see a lot of is overanalysis and obsessive thinking. So, you know, this is Google Central, how many tests can I run, um, you know, Google, 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 but not doing anything. And um, as I mentioned before, you know, interestingly, in a lot of mythology, this character is actually killed off <laughs> with good reason. And... Um, I think the minute we realise that our brain is not that smart, or at least the left side of our brain, the right side of our brain, which connects to all of our body, is, you know, extremely wise. But I see a lot of, you know, over-analysis and when people are stressed and it just doesn't get you anywhere. Look, there's one and thing... It's looking do, for safety in a place where it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And look, there's one thing to want to be educated, but here's a clue. If you're spending more time Googling and running tests but and consulting experts but not doing, you know, that suggests to me that you're on the your mind's operating on the extremes and not from a balanced point of being. Analysis paralysis, I think. Analysis paralysis. Uh, um, now, another one I see a lot of, and there's not many more, don't worry, <laughs> is focusing on avoiding pain. So I get a lot of people come to me and say, oh, I've got to cut out gluten and dairy. I've got to eliminate foods. Um, thought I'd get a supplement. So with this, um, you know, and I think, I, th I think it was Freud, I'm not sure, said that people either make choices to avoid or decrease pain or choices that create or increase pleasure. And so what I've noticed is that um, particularly with people that are scared of pain um, or, or obstacles or... Discomfort. Discomfort in any way, um, that often comes from poor... poor um, self-compassion skills, poor, you know, self-tolerance skills. And so often if you can just sort of bolster up those, it can really help. And so I use um, self-compassion skills, but um, I also emphasise and encourage them to look at the obstacles they've actually overcome in their life. Often they're sort of... Um, Which they will downplay immediately. Yeah, and so my role as a coach is yeah. to go, hang on, I'm a minute. professional at this one, so I can chime in here. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> so, you know, hang on, wait a minute. We've, we've, you know, got rid of heavy metals. We've, you know, got you sleeping. We've sorted the diet and feeling hungry and depressed. And, you know, so the irony of this is those people often have physical pain. And I just think that's really looking at the five levels of, you know, how avoiding that pain can actually take down the nervous system. But I see that a lot as well of people, um, uh, you know, cautious about taking risks. Um, and, look, I understand that, you know, supplements can cause reactions, but I'm not talking about risk risks. Um, and the other is neglecting their own needs and not prioritising themselves. And I see this a lot, you know. So, you know, we really need to look at why we're not doing that and what belief is driving that. And often I find there is an underlying low self-esteem issue, um, which once it's addressed, they just transform. So I see that a lot and I see it very prevalent in women as well. And this is where, our, you know, the intuitive body and inherited stuff comes in that you're here to serve others and not to serve yourself. Um, the other thing I see a lot is a dislike for routine and the need uh, which is needed for success. So these are the people that are, I've taken that supplement. So what now? Or um you know that meal's not exciting enough for me or you know uh wanting to try something really new like the biohacking when they haven't got things right and this comes because they uh thrive on creating exploring you know that whatever and the real lesson they need to learn is that we all have a need for creativity and exploration, but health is not one of those areas that we need it. You know, health is built by what we do day in and day out. And I work with a client who is an explorer. She is an explorer of herself, explorer of the world. She's into all the things <laughs> you're building. I can relate. Uh, yeah, and... I couldn't get her to take her supplements, which she actually did need. She wasn't on that many every day because it was boring. And the minute she just went, you know, I'm going to do a Reebok and just do it and make sure we've got enough creativity and, you know, exploring in the rest of her life, big things started happening. So I think there's sort of a bit of a trend where people try something or that didn't work or I've done that now or, you know, at least that's what I see. The final one I really want to touch on is taking responsibility for ourselves and our own life. And whoa, 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 let's not get crazy. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's what I'm really <laughs> So um, the first step is really just decide that, you know, what's, you know, you, you're going to, you know, adopt a self-care model. And um, I can see extremes in this, either people feel powerless, which is why it's really important for them to have those initial experiences, which I as a coach need to help facilitate, 
where they can see that they're not powerless in this situation over themselves. Um, in its extreme, you can see people who are um, um, obsessed with the rules. Um, they don't actually even seek help. Um, they won't consider what you're thinking or your viewpoints or anything else. It's sort of a control point. And the reason this is so important is, and I think we've touched on this, is if we outsource our health to another, we get the solutions they perceive we need, not the solutions we need to restore health. And that is one of the biggest lessons I learned from my scenario. Yes, I need support. Yes, I need guidance. I've actively sought out people that can teach me things and mentor me, but I need to know me and I need to take responsibility for my own health and happiness. Um, people can help you. They can't do it for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and everyone's different. Everyone's different. I think a lot of people, uh, I think there's those in the, in the meme world on the internet now, there'd be comments saying, I feel attacked. Um, <laughs> it's because I think uh, pretty much anybody listening can relate to some pieces that you shared and um, can identify with some of the, the roadblocks that you mentioned at the end, because I know that on a couple of those, I think I'm, I'm a PhD level of experience with them. And, and But I think, I think the important point is that these are all universal ways that we operate for a reason too thought that thing that um is, is in the way of you now uh there was a reason that developed and it developed out of necessity and at the time that it developed it was helpful for you and in some way it was protective or helpful for you and learning that and really believing that for me was like the gold that helped me shift some of those things because it was like, oh, I suck. I do this thing and it sucks. And instead of that, it's, I learned to do that thing because I was scared. And well, I, I think to take that up a notch, these are all ways of being that are within all of us, which we go through a period of mastering to use appropriately. So in the last um, point of taking responsibility for yourself, you know, as you evolve, as you understand yourself, um, you can use, you know, you can take control of the situation for the benefit of others. So these aren't wrong. They're just the wrong, they're just a stress response being used in the wrong scenario. That's the way I see it. I mean, you know, is it is it wrong to love someone and want to care for them? No, not at all. You know, arguably that's one of the deeper skills that we can learn. But is it a balanced, non-stressful response to do that at the expense of ourselves? You know, so I just want to be clear that it. It's more about when it's not working than is it right to have these qualities or not have these qualities. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Is it working? Is it not working? It's it not, working? am I good or am I bad? It's what am I, is what I'm doing working for me yeah. or not, not working for me? And look, the thing is that 
we all have a primary way of coping with stress that we've not dealt with before. And I can share, you know, I'm an overthinker, overanalyzer. And, you know, when I was sick, I was thinking, if I can just sleep, I can work this out. No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so I, I have a history of being able to think through things and work things out. But in this situation, that tool was never going to work, ever. Well, your primary symptoms were not being able to use your brain. (laughs) So overthinking and overanalyzing your way out of that one's going to be tough. It always goes to the weakest part, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so these aren't um, negative things. They're really just, they're, they're actually skills, you know, and it wasn't really the purpose of, of our conversation, but in different scenarios, these are, are perfect. Like, you know, we can talk about people that are rebels, you know, like I have clients that are rebels, you know, like if there's a protest, they'll be there and God love them for, you know, holding people accountable and all the rest. But in your own health, you're rebelling against yourself. So I want to be a rebel. I want to have people in my life that are rebel. I love rebels. But when you're rebelling against yourself, nothing good can come of it. If you'd have told me, you know, six years ago or whenever we first met in the in the FDN group and both of us were kind of like lab test protocol nerds yes. <laughs> that uh, that we would be having this conversation on a podcast in six years or however long, uh, I would have been not believing that and confused and probably disinterested. Mm -hmm. And so um, kudos to the journey that you've been on and what you've learned from it too, in your own, and it's taking, you know, your own experience and what you've been through and what you've realized with yourself. I can tell there was a lot of, there's a lot of personal touch in there and in what you shared in this and in what Mm -hmm. you just explained, I could feel that a lot of that was coming from experience and from you and from, uh, you know, self-compassion, I could feel that, uh, coming through and it's, there was like a twinge of sadness in some of there. And it's, it is sad when I've experienced sadness, when I've started to Mm. learn self-compassion, there's a sadness Mm. for what was lost, for what wasn't Mm. there, for the, for the times that you weren't compassionate and like, um, it opens up the door for the emotions to come through, which then mm-hmm. um, was very evident here. So I, yeah. it's, it's really a transparent way to communicate too, that um, teaching the way you do and, and pointing people to professionals that aren't you as well is something that yeah. a lot of coaches won't do and don't it's do. And they want to be the, they want to be the everything to everyone. And they no, want to no, learn no. this thing and this thing and this thing. And it's not, you can't do it. It's not. Just, Look, <laughs> it's absolutely not the right thing to do. If there are any coaches listening, do not do it because yeah. you're not their mother. You're their teacher. You know, I've trained in EFT. I'm an EFT practitioner. I've trained in this, that, and the other, but I soon realized that um, the key to this is really, connecting the person to themselves because mm-hmm. yeah, all the answers beautiful. are there and yeah. all they already the know everything they need to do they do they do yeah. and it's only you know these beliefs getting in their way really and i've seen some of the most amazing transformations of people um you know 
and I still do traditional lab work. I still treat this, that and the other, but um, I treat the whole person. I see the whole person. And my aim at the end of doing this work on the five levels is to really see that person. I think you're doing a hell of a job. So oh, thanks, Michael. Yeah. I love your work but, too. Uh, I'm gonna, thank you. Yeah, we yeah. have a lot. We're we're mm-hmm. gonna hopefully be collaborating in. So it's um it's great to see somebody on a parallel trajectory um on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh and then kind of like pinging along the way. And we just seem to kind of follow the same and are learning mm-hmm. the same lessons, which it's not always fun to learn these lessons, by mm-hmm. the way. This mm-hmm. is speaking of a after the fact I learned this. Mm-hmm. These discoveries when they happen, they're not always, you know, it's not sunshine and rainbows always. It's um Yeah, I think the discomfort is a sign that you're over something that is meaty. It's mm-hmm. the juice, it's the yeah key to the city you know and you know if I could end on anything it's that um that you know those hard lessons or whatever you want to call them are are where the true healing turns in my experience it's not lots of things it's just a few things Mm -hmm. repeating themselves and um how sweet it feels to be able to be yourself and love yourself and accept yourself just the way you are and have the tools to lovingly observe yourself and act in your best interests. Mm. Beautiful. Well, Mm. Alison, thank you so much for everything you shared here and uh, for going through all that so that you can share it and teach Mm. it and guide people. So if people are interested in learning more about your work and, and what you offer and what you've got, uh, we'll put links below so they can click in the show notes, but where do they go and what will they find there? Yeah, so if they just go to my um, website, which is alisonvickery.com, I also am on Instagram, which I sort of prefer and post a bit more than Facebook. Um, I am, I have a uh, roadmap to recovery from histamine intolerance and muscle activation, which gives really a um, overall view of, mostly the physical level of of healing. Um, And I am going to be writing a lot more on this topic. So probably by the time this is out, there'll be more materials um, on my website. I provide a lot of free information on my website. And um, I do encourage people to choose a coach, whether it's me or somebody else, that can really work with you know with with the unconscious beliefs that are coming up and be it around food or or whatever else and um if nothing else I hope that when people read my work they see the opportunity and the possibility from healing you know the reality is if I can go from not knowing where I am and what I did yesterday not being able to speak in a full sentence sent off into the world almost going, sorry about that, good luck. <laughs> what, can, what can your listener do? And that wraps up another episode of the Natural Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening, and please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guest and grab your free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit. 
which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.